Right, so we are now in progress. And ah. I'd like to put a very warm welcome out there for Sana Ali. Thank you very much for joining me. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm really well. It's um, it's it's funny that we haven't done this before, but we're, we're finally here. So thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we've been talking about this sort of stuff for good two two years plus now. Yeah. And, and, and watching the market as it's developed and seeing it go through all the cycles of R35, supposed to be happening yeah. first time around, then actually happening. So, yeah, I'm really glad we're doing this and I appreciate yeah. you taking the time. No, of course. We've had some predictive and some cynical conversations as well. So it's nice to finally put a topic to this and um, formalise it. But thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. And I think you're right. You know, we have had some some where we're kind of, we've been kind of deeply ingrained in all of this sort of stuff and really focused on it and um, looking at how we think it's going to move and what, yeah. what things are going to impact it. And I think that very much ties into the, the subject we want to talk about today, which is looking at services procurement spend management and where are we in that market maturity curve? Because, you know, as you and I know, and we've discussed many times before, services procurement spend is not a new thing been around for a long period of time and it's very yeah. large but the management side of it yeah. is still um in some cases at a very early stage of maturity and, and that's something we can we can look into in a bit more detail um before we kind of get started and dive into all that so i know that your your role is that you are the um statement of work subject matter expert and services procurement specialist um for emia um at tapfin um, who are obviously the MSP arm of the Talent Solutions, the MSP arm of the Manpower Group. Um, but how did you actually end up there? How did, you, how did you get to this position? <laughs> it's a brilliant question, to be honest. Um, and I think like Paul, I somewhat fell in. Um, I, like to, I like to say that I strategically positioned myself to get to this um, area. But I, I, you know, I guess without giving you a full list of my CV, but I... Uh, studied accountancy way back when at university now um so I've got that sort of I guess somewhat a bit of a numerical uh, or mathematical mind to a certain degree um but again as I said I fell into this sort of service provider world um I've been in the industry for about I'd say nine almost ten years um coming up to but um yeah I've, I've not looked back and I think again as I said I've been quite I what I I like to think I've been quite strategic in terms of the decisions that I've made throughout these sort of nine to ten years um you know i started off in the uk um being aligned to what which was probably one of the first sort of saw services procurement um pieces of work or spend being included as part of a service provider um i was part of that very small community um and i think you know i was fortunate enough to be given that that opportunity it was always something that had interested me when when saw procurement and things like that sort of were discussed as part of my earlier years um Excuse me. And uh, I just I think that sort of level of flexibility and that change and the element that you've got strategy and it's quite defined in terms of what's needed. But it, it's it's so um, well, I think the level of excitement there for me was was always there. Um, so I was quite fortunate enough, again, in terms of the, the, the opportunities that I was given. But I also, again, I feel like I was quite strategic in terms of what I chose as well. Um, and I, a lot of the, the, the organisations that I worked for, or clients that I worked for, were, were mostly within the financial services space. So I think they have always been, that industry, that space has always been sort of the, at, at the forefront of defining what SOW or services procurement looks like. 
Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail as well. But that that industry really, for me, from personal experience, has, I think, really started to define where we are headed um, amongst, you know, some of the other other aspects and elements and, and other industries as well. But it, yeah, I guess cutting the, the story short, um, I somewhat sort of fell into this. But again, I like to think I was quite strategic in terms of how I how I really positioned myself and, and, and managed to get that sort of SME title, um, which is mainly attributed to the operational experience that I come with as well over the years. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to be of a certain type of thought process to be within one of these large organisations or these large service providers with the range of services that they offer to then push that into a very specialist area. Um, And, you know, certainly when you first started getting involved with this, it was a very, very small area. It's obviously expanded out massively um, and and its importance has grown significantly. But even, you know, when we, um, you know, when we've kind of spoken in the past and met at events and stuff like that, some of the events were things like R35 events um, where statement of work and services procurement was being talked about in the context of the reforms coming into the the private sector. And I think within large managed service providers, staffing companies, you you have these kind of breakout specialisms where somebody might be an R35 expert and that very closely aligns with the core business of the recruitment arm of that type of business. But I think your, in terms of your specialism and your expert knowledge in the area of services procurement, I think that's a, a much smaller, more select um, group of people that are spearheading that now globally for some of the, the big service providers. And I think this, that's really is such a great point as well that you made there, because I think there's there's somewhat a bit of a misconception when it comes to, to my side of the fence, which is the staffing industry or the sort of service provider space, um, is that the world of contingent and MSP is sort of mutually exclusive and the same as the world of SAW. Um, and I think that is a huge misconception because, yes, there are a lot of parallels between the two worlds, but they are two completely different um, pieces, completely different spaces, essentially. And the spend, your drivers, your value, um, you know, your strategy, but it is, again, it's just, it, I guess it's it's the level of, it shows the level of in, infancy and the level of maturity that is still needed um, within certain markets for, for, for sort of organisations and even staffing industries to sort of really understand. These are two different things. Yes, they are somewhat um, parallel and, and go hand in hand to a certain degree. But the, the way that you approach each of the two different types of spends in different areas are completely different. And I think um, the, the, the world and the market is certainly starting to see that. Um, you know, IR35 being one of those sort of sort of links from a, from a UK market absolutely has sort of lifted the lid and then showed organizations that actually SAW spend is, is mammoth. It's huge um, within organization. And there's, there's so much untapped um, strategy, the untapped processes and benefits that, that sort of are there and, and need to be achieved. So um, yeah, we're, we're certainly starting to move in the right direction, I would say. Um, but that's it's interesting you say that because there's a huge misconception in my view in terms of the two being mutually exclusive. Um, yes, there's huge parallels. Yes, there's benefits in sort of bringing them and marrying the two together. But the approach is very, very different for, for both of them. Yeah, I mean, you're buying different things. You're, 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 if, if you're engaging contingent workforce, exactly. you're... You're paying for an individual's time. If you're um, yeah. buying an outsourced service, 
you are paying a company to deliver an outcome, yeah. a service provider to deliver an outcome. Um, and I think that whole outcome-based um, approach to getting work done has had some clear drivers, things like COVID with all the remote working and just different ways of working that have really pushed that forward. Things like the gig economy have driven it in a, in a different way as well, but it was already massive. Um, I think one of the interesting things is um, for people outside the industry, so, so if, we, if we look at the maturity curve, if yeah. we say, okay, early in the maturity curve, companies are, are going to companies have got a problem with managing services spend. Are they going to look to address it themselves, or they're going to look for an expert partner to do it? Yeah. And I think if you look at the transition and the and the growth of the contingent workforce, certainly, I mean, some companies do it differently. A lot of big companies will use a managed service provider to put their arms around it. Some companies will do it themselves, develop their own internal functions. But but certainly, I mean, you know, the services procurement market. However mature we may come to the conclusion it is, it's nowhere near as mature as the continued workforce market, management market. Um, but, but that's where companies were reaching out to specialist partners to say, can you just take the problem off my hands? And it might be just a particularly cr a critical part of the problem. But it's, I think for people outside the industry, they almost look at it and say, well, how come a staffing organisation can help an organisation with services procurement spend? Because they are different. Um, but I think there's there's a there's a clear similarity in the problem solving exercise, yeah. and and what constitutes that layer of service that can be put around it. Although I think that's still kind to a certain extent being defined as the market matures. But would you agree with that? I completely agree. Completely agree. And I think um, I from again from a personal experience over the last several years, it's a question that I get asked all the time. Why should we pick you as a service provider, as a staffing organisation to come in and help us do what, what we as an organisation think we actually do much better? Because we've got, you know, we've got dedicated procurement teams. We've got dedicated category managers to come in and do this. And um, you know, I think absolutely yes. That that contingent, the world of contingent, and and the SOW world of services procurement are very different. But again, to those parallels that I was sort of mentioning, there th those parallels are so definitive in the sense that actually there is huge benefit of having a staffing provider or a staffing industry sort of with that knowledge and understanding of that non-perm element to bring it together. And it's almost sort of trying to enhance what, what has been defined in the world of contingent and MSP for so many years. It's, it's, it's now very mature in, in a sort of almost a global landscape, really, in, in most markets. There is a huge value of sort of trying to link in those parallels but also being very clear and aware that the differences are there and to manage those in a different way. But I think to bring that together and bring that holistic, and I think, which is the key thing here, it's that holistic element um, that really can sort of help organizations start to build data, get that visibility that they're looking for, and really start to, to lift the lid up and see what that space looks like. Because I think for most organizations, the biggest problem, even to date, regardless of what market you're working in, regardless of what era and space and what type of industry you're in as an organization, um, there is still such limited to no visibility when it comes to SW spend. Um, and I've certainly seen the, the conversation change and evolve so wonderfully, I think, um, over the, the several sort of, I'd say, even seven years, five to seven years. And it's really nice to see that there are there are drivers within within the sort of the global landscape that are starting to 
bring that education forward for organizations, but also start to bring the sense of urgency as well in the sense that we need to speak about this. Um, and, you know, whether it's it's biasly, whether it's a staffing industry or a service provider that will help you manage this, um, or whether you decide to take that in-house, I think had um and it certainly is being had and i think just to that point as well it's it, it's a it's a global lands, landscape and and the, the SAW of service procurement is a global landscape and i think for for most organizations the way that a lot of organizations will work is they look at it from a regional level um and i think sometimes that's where the problem occurs is that when you're looking at your strategies from that regional element, you've got different markets that are at different levels of, of maturity. You know, we know, I think we always speak from a UK perspective and a US perspective when it comes to SOW is because the US is, is typically more seen to be the more mature market when it comes to SOW and services procurement, whereas the UK not necessarily, but I think certainly in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, um, with the discussion of IR35, I think UK is starting to really um, come up to speed and there's different elements of that education that are taking place, different elements of that maturity that are coming into play as well. Um, and it's again, as I said, it's wonderful to see and I sort of come in um, for, for Talent Solutions Tapfin from an EMEA perspective. So there's other European markets as well that I think are starting to follow suit. <clears throat> Excuse me, but again, it's it's sort of trying to and again, from from my side of things, being part of the, uh, the the staffing industry, it's really starting to to have that conversation with organisations and help them sort of see actually, if you start to look at this not just from a regional level and an, a, a global level, you are going to start to unearth some some hidden hidden truths almost, um, or hidden secrets as well, where you know you, you you may or may not be aware of those, but it's sort of to start that start to align some of those discussions and bring those to the surface surface um and then also look at it from that sort of global holistic viewpoint as well which um yeah i, I find you know we, we we've evolved so much um over the years but it's it's still very interesting to see how how some some clients sort of look at that spend yeah and it's interesting you mentioned the regional element i'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the legislation in germany is it aug the equivalent I believe to so yeah i believe so Kind of equivalent there's a similar one in italy as well so um yeah it's it's interesting because there's different elements of or different variations of of what we have in in the uk now from 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 an ir35 perspective they you've got that in a lot of the european markets and it's been it's been around for longer than than it has in the uk so it's really interesting how some of those conversations start to flip around on their head yeah and it's kind of like you say it's an education cycle where you know, for some countries like in the US, you know, outcome based work delivery, SOW is, is to a certain extent much more common. And yeah. in places like Germany, um, you know, getting work done under that SOW type contract is very common. You see a lot of it in the Nordics and places like that as well. Um, and I agree with you. I think the, the approach that UK government have taken, it's like with the 1099 versus W2 in the US, governments yeah. globally are going to say, come on, we've got to define this properly, you know, for tax reasons, for the way that people are working. Um, and outcomes makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for people to, to address that and go, it's a different way that I could get something done. But taking that aside, 
there's a massive, like you say, a mammoth spend that's already happening. But I think, you know, it's it's the it's the right thing, but it's got to be the right time as well. Exactly. I, do, I do think there are various factors that have come together to make this a critical time where for those of us like you and I who have been deep in the, the, the detail of this for a period of time are seeing this all really start to go much more mainstream now. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I thought it'd be great for us to, to have this conversation. And I think because, from a global scale, I think, you know, we, we... Sorry, carry on. No, no, I was just going to say, it's from that global scale, as we, we've sort of somewhat touched on some of the legislation that impact some of those regional sort of European-based markets. But I think from a global scale, you know, unfortunately so, it's taken us um, a, a global pandemic like COVID to sort of hit and, and actually have organisations sort of look at their overall strategies, whether that be, um, you know, their remote workforce um, as, an, as sort of an overall organisation, whether there's other sort of strategies in place as well. Technology comes into play as a certain degree for, you know, it, it's things like that. And it, but it's organizations really now I've seen in the sort of the last 12 months absolutely more so is that they want to work smarter they want to be smarter they want to continue to to leverage data and technology but it's it's sort of it's it's almost being in a rock and a hard place sometimes for some organizations as well because you know as you mentioned it's it's when is the right time but I think having a global pandemic unfortunately it's sort of meant it's forced or fortunately to a certain degree for organizations in terms of the way the world's headed it's sort of forced organizations to really review and analyze right what are our priorities um and not just that but but what is the data what what spend look like in order for us to sort of look at what are our priorities and which direction do we take. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting because there's so many different aspects and elements that come into it, but I, I think certainly so, yes, we've seen the SOW services procurement space evolve over, I'd say that the, the last five to seven years dramatically, but in the last sort of 12 to 18 months since COVID, it's really almost exacerbated everything and expedited everything um, because organizations are sort of coming to me now and saying can we talk about SAW as opposed to um, how it was maybe three years ago I was having to sort of pursue organizations and say look this is something you need to you need to sort of look into you need to understand what your S looks like you need to sort of really start to peel away the layers um, within this space and not just sort of leave it to how it's working today. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, various things have kind of come together and you, need, you do need you do need certain elements to progress yeah. with solving a problem like this. Um, you need clear business drivers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a big problem that's been around, but companies have got loads of problems. What's at the top of the list? And COVID shone a light on that. Um, you do need, um, you generally, the solutions these days will need enabling technology. And I think that's an area where, Certainly from, from, from our point of view, as a tech provider in this space, as a specialist tech provider, yeah. IR35 in the UK was one of the big drivers that actually yeah. took us down this line. Um, and that, but that was when it came into the, into the public sector. Kind of, so if you look at back at like 2017, 2018, when people first started to try and solve, address this problem more effectively. Um, but that's 
transitioned out much more widely on a global basis now across the public and private sector. Um, but I think there's also this wider picture of just kind of bringing together how work gets done. Yeah. Because you can look at it and you can go, the services procurement and contingent workforce, for example, are very, very separate. But, but as, if you take it up to the CEO or the CFO or the COO level, and they're looking at and they're saying, what is the most effective use of all of our resources? That's the key question they want to answer. And in some organisations, I mean, they'll have contingent workforce will sit as part of services procurement, yeah. which, which kind of can make it slightly complicated because I see it as a kind of a separate thing. You're, you're, yeah. it's, it's, this is, and this is where we can talk about how this kind of falls through the cracks in organisations. It's like yeah. I had a very interesting um, conversation with a lady called Carla Roberts um, who, uh, from WTT Legal, who's a, a real specialist on the legal side. And we were talking about how the, the, the legal side of SOW can kind of fall through the cracks between tax law and employment or you know, recruitment type law. And I think the same can happen with this spend generally and yeah. how that where that spend is managed, whether it's just sp sitting specifically within procurement versus HR managing contingent workforce, different category managers within procurement. It depends on an organization to organization um, basis. But, but the thing that brings it all together is it's about getting work done. Um, exactly. And it's also it, it ties into the use of terminology, like, for example, us talking about statement of work um, statement of work. Clearly, it's, it's a contract type. Exactly. It's a, it's a con it's nothingness word, really. <laughs> yeah. But I think the good thing about it is when you look at trying to get clarity on how you define services procurement. Um, so for, for us, our remit is end to end lifecycle management of any services procured, contracted and delivered under a statement of work. That statement of work is central to certainly for us, how we define our market. And I'm sure it's central to how you do it, because there are various different ways of contracting to get work done. As we discussed, contingent workforce is contracting with an individual to use their time. Services procurement is contracting with an organization under a statement of work for them to deliver an outcome. So yeah. I think, you know, there's some, some people use the term SOW a lot. Some people will be very much in the kind of services procurement mindset, but it's a contract mechanism for the delivery of, of work. And it sits alongside the other ways of getting work done, whether it's permanent workforce, contract and, and temp workforce, or these outsourced service providers. Um, but but how, in terms of how that's all kind of come together, um, but is still separate, do you think that has helped the approach for service providers where you're, where you're looking to provide this holistic view yeah and I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there really because I think that really is one of the drivers or one of the value adds of having a staffing industry or a service provider come in and sort of help with that because because like you've sort of mentioned there's so many different variations of, of what we class as SOW spend or sort of outcome-based spend it, you can have sort of consultancy strategic um type work that that falls under that bracket you can have still a certain degree managed service type work that falls under that bracket rightfully or wrongfully so um you've also then got sort of some of uh, of what could sort of almost be body shopped contingent workers um but we won't say that um but you've got sort of the, the, the sort of the type of work that's project based but it's more more on a time and material basis with an element of outcomes and deliverables that are to be achieved throughout 
throughout that project life cycle. So there's so many different variations. And I think having a staffing provider or a service provider come in and sort of help organizations really look at that is, again, it leads back to that whole holistic visibility because they are at the end of the day, whether they're contingent or whether it falls under your SOW bucket, they are non-permanent workforce that you are employing. Um, and there's, yes, there's different contractual elements, there's different commercial setups and constructs, um, but they are non-permanent workers, essentially. Um, so I think that really is where bringing in a staffing provider, and again, this is not a sales pitch, but <laughs> I think it is, is something that's really helped start to bring that education into it, um, is by, by just simply giving organizations that level of visibility um, for, for them to sort of look at whether it be individual bodies coming in and out of your organization or whether it be the spend, whether it be your volumes, whether it be your timelines, anything along those lines, even suppliers, it's to give that visibility. And that really is the starting point. And I think a lot of organizations are now starting to understand the importance of that for various reasons. You know, I guess if you if you are the CFO, you're going to look at where can I cut costs? Where can I where can I drive the, 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 the most amount of savings, whether that be sort of from a from a hard cost negotiated element or whether that be to put in some sort of a service in place where I can start to really get those quick wins and achieve as much um of your cost saves as possible. So, you know, to a certain extent, that is by bringing in a staffing provider, that is you trying to secure your cost savings because you are understanding, you are equipped with the data to see where that spend is coming in and out of um, for you to start to get a holistic picture. So, yes, I, th I think, you know, as, as much as over the years, those different levels or types of services procurement SOW spend for organizations has been a minefield and still is today, I think, to a certain degree. Um, I think from if you're looking at it from a staffing industry or a service provider perspective, I think it's really helped us um, start to partner and start to bring forth that education with organizations and sort of say, actually, if you start to just get simple visibility, you'll be able to understand what is rightfully sitting in those buckets and what are actually the key buckets that you have within that area itself. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a mixed one for me. I think, I think it certainly has helped evolve those conversations. Um, but I think today some organizers are still a huge minefield. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we talk about the, the nuances and variations in how these you know how these work how, the, how this work is delivered which is ultimately what we're talking about with all of this stuff it's about work being done um that's where for me it always comes back to is it under a statement of work contract or not that's a really clear defining delimiting factor you can say it either is or isn't it's a binary thing is it under a statement of work or not and so i think on that side of it that's a very useful that's where you know that's why you know, we, we're to a certain extent using the phrase SOW quite a bit because it is that clear defining factor that has an underlining requirement of a process flow and it has an under, underlining legal requirement and it has an underlining uh, underlying way that that is going to be delivered that's different from other stuff. Um, so, and, and what you're talking about with regards to this holistic viewpoint, um, as I said earlier, if, if you're the CFO or the CFO, as you pointed out, CEO, um, 
you just want to know what resources you have to hand and which ones you should be using. So you could be looking at cost savings, which, you know, if a CFO just turns around to the chief procurement officer and says, we spent um, 100 million on services last year, we've got to save money, spend 80 million next year. You know, that's that's just a cost saving mentality where I think a lot more CFOs and CPOs are coming around to the mentality saying, what are we getting for it? Yeah. You know, what's the what's the what's the result? That's the that's the kind of panacea, isn't it? To understand all of the money you're spending on services and, and getting yeah. work done and what's the most effective route. And it's always going to be the most effective route to get this piece of work done over here is different to the most effective route to get this piece of work done over there. But you've got choices. You've got different work delivery channels. Um but if you look at the maturity, I mean, I've had um, chief procurement officers say to me, certainly from like a service and technology perspective, that basically service procurement, and this is a little while ago, more of these sorts of comments saying it's just been completely left behind compared to contingent workforce. Yeah. Um, but it's catching up now. And that's where there's this huge opportunity um, for organisations to make massive wins. You know, if you look yeah. at contingent workforce, pretty mature, as you say, globally, still obviously that still needs to be run very well and very effectively and there are always ways to do it more efficiently more effectively and there's a, the war for talent to consider um but with services procurement it's, it's in a lot of cases it is pretty greenfield um and so there are these huge wins for organizations to be able to make um one thing i was going to ask you was in terms of your time within the industry specializing and looking at this and when you look at the typical stakeholders that um managed service providers you know workforce solutions providers will will integrate in interface with how have you seen that change in terms of the type of people within organizations that you're dealing with so I, this is where i think it get it starts to get a little bit complicated to a certain degree in my view and um i think we've gone from several years ago to sort of dipping our toes in the in the water and mind, the mindful that is services procurement spend to, you know, oh, yes, let's just lump it all under MSP and contingent. It's all one in the same thing to now where we're actually saying, yes, there are some parallels and there are some differences. But what are those differences and where are where are the elements that we need to apply? And I think it goes to the element where it's having those specialist skill sets. That really is the key difference between the two. And I think it's technology also for me comes into this as well. And I think you know, without technology, without the right technology, without the right forums available, you're sort of really not going to achieve very much because there is, we're now in an age of digitization, we're now in an age of automation, and there is always that forefront where, where, you know, we always say that, that our services are people-led but technology-enabled, and I think that is still very much um prevalent and very much important and I think we are certainly we've made leaps and bounds within the technology space and, and you know Johnny you'll absolutely be able to talk to that much better than I will but, you know it's it's starting to become just as equal with the the, the level of skill sets and the the individual people that are available to provide a particular service and and sort of look into the realm of service procurement and SW, um, marrying up very closely to what is the technology going to provide you. We've got, we've now, you know, we're, we're, we're in an era of AI that's becoming more and more 
um, important. It's becoming more and more common with a lot of technology. Um, so that is a huge thing. It's, it's for your data to be able to do more. It's for your service to be able to give you more. And it goes back to the whole, you know, organizations within the SAW space, they just want to get the work done. And I think, again, if you're looking from a staffing industry or service provider, we also want to work with the clients to get the work done. Um, but it's, it's evolved so much in terms of what those priorities lie and what those value adds and drivers are. Um, but I think definitely, I think we're now in, in, an, in an era in an age where there is digitization, there's technology, there's automation, there's AI. You're looking at all of that. And I think that is just as important as the sort of the, the actual skill sets and the people service that is being provided as well. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the stuff you can do with AI, we're doing some stuff that it's kind of it's kind of in some ways it's quite future looking because mm. there's so much amazing stuff yeah. you can do when you're genuinely capturing this data and analyzing this data. And it's just a whole world of opportunities for organizations to do better work, for suppliers to do better work, to be recognized for it, to find um, these niche suppliers, not maybe just always stick to the tried and tested that where there's where there's less innovation or less diversity, all these different kind of things. Um, but the bottom line is you have to capture the process effectively. You've got to do the kind of like less um, kind of jazzy stuff, less fireworks and stuff. You've got to do the basics really, yeah. really well to capture that. And you've got to make it easy for people. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the responsibility of the service providers. It's the responsibility of the technology providers to end up in a situation where you have something that's at the level of maturity of contingent workforce where you've got technology and service providers that work very well together and solve the problem. Yeah. Um, but one of the other things with regards to the, the stakeholders that I was kind of referring to was when you're obviously when you're inter interfacing with customers. So, mm -hmm. in, so in terms of the type of stakeholders you're dealing with now from a services procurement um, angle and the variation in who those stakeholders are within client organizations, how have you seen that change over time in the sense that you'd kind of, imagine uh, being a, you know outside a service provider you'd imagine that in the very early stages it might have just been conversations with hr and people like oh, that yeah. where where it wasn't really that relevant to them and they might push it over to procurement but it might get pushed back and maybe not whereas whereas now i'd imagine it's more procurement led maybe finance led where, where are you guys seeing the, those conversations mostly taking place now yeah. And, and you're spot on there really because you know as much as the sort of the overall service um, the target audience has evolved as well. It's mm. not just your HI or talent acquisition teams um, that are being discussed. They are, when you're referring to services procurement spend, they are secondary almost. Um, it's your, your target audience are procurement, your CPOs, your CFOs, that actually they're looking at it from not just a, a granular level in terms of what are the bodies coming in and out of your organization? You know, have we got the right strategy in place? It's it's a lot more wider scale. It's a lot more strategic in the sense that actually, are we going to can we save some some money here? Are we getting what we're what we're paying for? It, it, there's so much more that goes into it now that I think for you to miss procurement or, or finance to a small degree um, out of those discussions that you're having when it comes to services, services procurement, it would just be, you know, 
with all due respect, I think, look at things from a different flip side. Um, and so will talent acquisition because they're more focused on sort of individual bodies, the people, that sort of culture side of things. Mm. Whereas with services procurement, you're not necessarily bought into an individual body and their particulars it's not you know excuse my French but it's not a bum on a seat that you're looking for you're looking for an outcome to be achieved by a service provider by a consultancy by a supplier so it's it's absolutely procurement your CPOs that are your target audience that actually are driving some of these conversations and are the ones that you need to sort of get on board to a certain degree as well and help them see that there's so much value that can be provided and driven. There's so many different ways to, to get work done at the end of the day. Um, you know, there's a lot of different measures and protocols that you can put into place to ensure that what you're paying for is indeed what you're getting. Um, and I think that's essentially what it all boils down to is it's that level of service and that, that outcome that you pretty much that clients pay for when you're signing up to an SOW. So it's, yeah, that's definitely, I think, changed. Um, in my view, I think it changed very, very quickly because um, particularly when you were sort of had service providers that are having those conversations, we very quickly realized that actually it, it, HR and talent acquisition, when, you, when it comes to SOW services procurement spend are not the ones that are going to make those decisions. They need, and they need to be involved because it, it is their world. It, it's them that, that need to sort of buy into it and see the value and the drivers and the benefits that can be achieved and, and, and look at it from that sort of future utopia. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's certainly, I think, evolved. Um, and in my view, again, something that, that happened very, very quickly and I think rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, I find it fascinating. I mean, I've been involved in workforce technology my whole career. Um, and just looking at the emphasis on workforce and the wider context of workforce and getting work done, that's just changed yeah. massively. Yeah. In the last 20 years, that's changed a lot. Um, even if you just look at how individuals work, you know, 60 years ago, job for life. Yeah. Now gig economy, all sorts of different options, outcome-based, all sorts of different different ways of doing things. Um, but, but within organisations, I find it fascinating how that is managed now and how it's going to be managed in the future when you look at coordinating it. So, so basically, if it comes right up to the CEO and they say, what is the most effective use of all of our available resources? That's yeah. their permanent headcount. It's their contingent workforce. It's their services supply chain. Um, and who's who, who's in charge of bringing all that together? I, don't, I, I mean, I think procurement have a massively important role to play as a centre point Absolutely. where they are dealing with internal stakeholders and all different types of external stakeholders. And and to a certain extent, if they do it right, they're controlling the data. And it's that control of the data and centralisation of the data that is you know probably the most crucial thing just in terms of providing that information for strategic yeah. decision making and that's they're also what... leading the trends somewhat as well because you know again as you've mentioned you, you've got procurement that handle internal and external stakeholders so it's it's sort of being at the forefront of what those trends are but also to a certain degree being able to dictate where those trends really evolve for an organization as well you know regardless of of those external elements that come come into it i guess whether whether they're regulatory or sort of legislative base but 
just from an organizational perspective, you, you can sort of start to lead the way in terms of what those trends will look like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, so if we look at organizations and their historical management of this services procurement spend, um, where, it's, where it has kind of fallen down within organizations, what do you see as the primary reasons why historically it's not been managed effectively? So I think for me, there's a few elements and I'll have to um, be very, very cautious with how I articulate this. <laughs> um, but I think the issue, the, the, the big issue is down to the fact that the SAW or services procurement spent, it's so dispersed across business areas um, within an organisation. There's limited visibility for most as well. So it's almost like you'll have a need whether you've got an internal stakeholder or an external stakeholder there is a need you sign up to an SOW it goes you know I've missed out a huge level of steps there there, there is quite a process that will go through um, but you you essentially you sign that SOW contract you start the work and then it all sort of just disappears into the ether and because also the, the type of spend the level of work the level of picks that you, you will get come through for an organization are just so massively dispersed. You, you will have different levels of spend that are coming in, different tenure lengths that are coming in. You'll have, have different um, locations, different areas. So it just, it becomes a huge minefield. Um, and for most organizations, it, it that SOW is that services procurement spend and that process is quite fluid. Um, so usually, you know, I've sort of seen under a certain budgetary threshold, you'll have um, internal hiring managers and stakeholders that are able to, to sort of essentially do things how they see fit. Also um, known as total chaos. Absolutely, <laughs> also known as total chaos. And I think that's exactly where then the problem comes in is because Yes, I think it, it, it. You know, we're in a we're in a day and age where there needs to be a level of empowerment. There needs to be a level of control that I think stakeholders should should have and are entitled to. But I think there are also from a from a grander scale. I think there are levels of pr processes and controls that need to be put into place to ensure that those that mindset is being aligned from a holistic perspective. Um, so I think for me, the fact that, again, that I guess to summarize that the issue, the main issue for me is the spend is so dispersed, there's level of limited control, limited visibility beyond a certain point. Um, I think are probably some of the bigger issues, um, but you know, there's, there's also, I guess, if you look at it from the flips in terms of why have we gotten, why has it taken us so long to start to pin the importance of discussing and, and really educating organisations on services, procurement, spend, management, I think really does to a certain degree boil down to that target audience. You're talking to procurement individuals, you're talking to C CPOs, you're talking to CFOs, and I think once you start to get down to that granular level of detail, and particularly, again, coming from a staffing industry and as a service provider, when you start to sort of speak to a category manager and say, right, Mr. or Mrs. Category Manager, I am basically saying that I'm going to be able to, to automate 
60% of your job that you do today using using some form of technology. I'm gonna I'm gonna eliminate that for you. I'm going to start to achieve more cost savings through that automated process. I'm gonna take away some of your SME capabilities, some of your some of your niche experience. I'm gonna take that away. I'm gonna automate it all. It, it becomes naturally, it becomes a very personal conversation that you start to have. And I think once organizations, once individuals take that level out of it, that sort of personal element out of it and sort of see the bigger picture and see actually, we can then as individuals, we can then as an individual procurement team focus on some of the more bigger strategic elements if we are able to outsource a lot of this work, start to build that data visibility, you know, give away some of those administrative pain points that you would have throughout every step of the way from a from a sort of an end-to-end lifecycle perspective. We can work on some of the more strategic elements. We can really work on that overall strategy for the organization and, and sort of pick on those big ticket items. Um, because there is, there is, you know, I've I've seen so many procurement teams that unfortunately are just sort of brushed away. They're there because organisations feel that they need them, but they they're just so undervalued. And I think that's incredibly wrong because procurement teams, I think, for me, if they are managed and I think if they are seen to to positioned in the correct way in an organisation, there's so much value that can be achieved. Um, they are there for a reason, and I think they need to be utilised and leveraged in the right way. So I think that also is probably one of the, the reasons why sometimes these conversations when it comes to services procurement management, it's sort of fallen through the cracks because either you're looking at, you know, the, the sort of the CEOs that aren't necessarily really considered procurement teams. They're not really considered that will help you drive those discussions, will help you educate your internal stakeholders um, and also your external stakeholders to a, to a certain degree as well. So there's so many different aspects and I think there's so many different ways that you can look at it as well. But I think those to me are probably some of the, some of the main reasons why these discussions have taken so long for us to get to it. It's taken you know, in my view, a global pandemic, um, various different bits of legislation in different different global <laughs> markets to, to get organisations to actually start to see the value of procurement teams and to start to see the value of, of, of sort of lift up on, on their services procurement spend and really start to do something about it. Um, but I think also it's, it's, it's just the fact that it's been left for so long it becomes such a mammoth task. And, and most procurement teams, which are the ones that will essentially inherit these conversations and inherit these projects, um, are a lot of the times so sort of bound up in loads of different tasks that they can't necessarily focus on some of the larger ticket items again, as I said. So it, 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 it's a bit, it's, it becomes a bit of a struggle. I think it's the fact that it's such a mammoth task. You need to have a, a sufficient level of, of budget available. You need to have a sufficient level of, of man, um, man, not man rather, but uh, individuals available, a team available that can dedicate their time to really looking at this in the right way. Because I think... There is a fine line between let's just look at services procurement spend, let's tick the box, and actually let's do this right. There's a huge element of change management that comes into place. 
education, even from an internal perspective, you've got, you know, we, we sort of touched on the fact that internal stakeholders will have a lot of control for, for setting these things up um, on their own. So it's it's changing that mindset and sort of bringing in a new wave of, of thinking, a new way of buying that um, needs to come to this. So there's, there's yeah, I could I could talk nonstop about this, but there's uh, a lot of a lot of reasons why I think the the the, the discussion unfortunately fallen through the cracks but we are absolutely making headway i think that um the, the time is now um we're we're moving so quickly towards what utopia will look like and that utopia will continue continue to change as well so we're um yeah we're, we're definitely we've definitely moved in the right direction over the last several years and continuing to do so as well yeah i totally agree with you i think you know you you, you covered some really interesting topics there and if you look at for example potential resistance within procurement teams to think, hang on a minute, is this a threat to me? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I know from firsthand experience and from feedback from my colleagues and feedback from customers and clients we're talking to in the market, a lot of procurement teams are really frustrated yeah. with the fact that they're spending 80% of their time on administrative tasks. Yeah. That they're doing often manually. Yeah. Um, and as you say, if a contract, pro if, a, if an SOW process basically sort of disappears into the ether or SharePoint um, at the point of contract <laughs> award, that's, that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's, not, that's not the full process. You can't exactly. see what you're getting for it. And so I think when you look at automation, I mean, firstly, if you're approaching services procurement, if you compare it to the procurement of goods and materials, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, it's a, it's a lot more complicated. Supply yeah. chain is possibly more complicated when you're looking at goods and materials, but in terms of the way that a service can be delivered, as you say, they're very dispersed, yeah. very complex. Every project's different. They're very nuanced. There's a lot of variation. And that's where it's, it's again, comes back to the statement of work. Yeah, That's good because it's a central thing. You know it has to work through this mechanism. And actually, if a statement of work is delivered correctly, when I talk about statement of work, I'm talking about the end-to-end -end process from onboarding suppliers and making sure they're compliant to running a bid to the contract which is obviously the bit that is actually the statement of work yeah. but then it's the <laughs> delivery of what was contracted to be delivered yeah. and making sure that's delivered was it on time was it on budget how much scope creep was there did they do a good job all of these sorts of things i see as that workflow that life cycle um yeah. and and it, it needs a dedicated approach you know if you're looking at buying goods and materials you can use a catalog you, you know you can buy buy stuff on amazon um very difficult to do that with with services it's too complex it's too yeah. too nuanced yeah so i think the the tech hurdle has been a hurdle um but also the attitudes of people within procurement where they're maybe feeling threatened i personally see it as completely the reverse yeah because the only things you should be automating are the things that should be automated the things that need automating exactly and and, and procurement people you know have these great background in managing relationships and negotiating and assessing data and helping make decisions that's really the value and that's where that's where i think procurement are undervalued in a lot of cases completely agree completely because they're part agree. and they're partly constrained by what they've got to work with so yeah. if they're if they're spending i mean like that deloitte uh, cpo report that came out a little while ago three four months ago something like that yeah i remember there was it was something like ridiculous, like a very, very small percentage of CPOs were had more than like 30% strategic yeah. time. Yeah. 
It's, that's it's, a, that's it's CPI. ludicrous. Yeah. So, so I think where you've got the where you can have a dedicated approach, if you can automate the things that need automating, as you say, get the visibility and the clarity on the data, get the things that you can outsource to be sorted out for you, get them done. Procurement can then look at the data, they can make inferences. That's where an organization can pull together all of this information on their workforce, understand what they're getting for their money. Are they getting what they should be getting? Um, you know, should they be cutting costs? Should they be spending more in certain areas because it's driving real value? How does this type of way of getting work done compare to this type of way of work getting done um, for all sorts of different types of work? Um, that's where the value is. And that's where procurement elevate themselves to have that strong seat at the, at the, at the, the exec table to bring that information and control that information and help with that strategic decision making. So I only see it as a real positive, um, so, but, but it's natural where there's change for people to sometimes have a bit of resistance. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we if we go back, goodness, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, when things were really starting to pick up, when technology was actually sort of starting to, to you know, rear its head, it's almost like that, but we're just we're just sort of amped up on steroids to a certain degree. But yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, there's there's and I'm not just saying this from from a biased perspective, but there's huge value in that partnership. And I think once that that sort of that threat or that personal element comes out of it, I think I've never come across an instance where I've not been able to sort of showcase the values um, and the benefits to to a procurement team. Um, it, it's just about being able to articulate those discussions and, and have those discussions and, and sort of, I guess, take that personal threat element out of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think the another side of it is um, enabling self-service yeah. is, is very important. Certainly, if you're a tech provider in this space, critically important because, you know, if you're putting a tech solution in place, you kind of want to get out of the way as much as possible. You want to allow things to happen, not be a barrier, make it easier for people. Um, and in a lot of cases, in a lot of organizations, particularly if their culture is not a mandated, you know, it's, it's not a mandate driven culture, um, people are just doing stuff however they want to do yeah. it. And it's kind of yeah. out of control. So, so that's not great for the organization because they can't see what they're spending. They can't see what they're getting for it. Then there are other factors now, compliance risk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all sorts of risks that are around that, that organizations are now identifying, as well as the fact of, hang on a minute, guys, this money's going out of the business. What are we spending on and what we're we getting for it? Yeah. Um, but, but, but in the way that the individuals are working with suppliers, if you can try and keep that as kind of friction free as possible. So you might have a situation where you use technology to allow this to happen. It means that the buyer and the supplier can interface really easily through a piece of tech. Yeah. Um, and there's there's no real hindrance in the way for them. In fact, it makes it easier. And it means that the buyers can see more suppliers and the suppliers get made aware of more opportunities. Um, but then you've got procurement in the middle and potentially solution providers as well, where they are suddenly getting all this data. Yeah. So the key is if you can do that effectively, make that process capture, capture that data effectively without just causing a huge amount of upheaval and organizational change and make it easier for people, suppliers as well as the buyers then procurement have really got a great position to work from they've suddenly got all of that and in terms of the stuff that they're doing um they they can then have visibility of the whole process yeah so yeah. by automating out some of the just annoying bits that just things going here and there and different systems and 
stuff's on an Excel spreadsheet or it's in SharePoint or it's no one knows where the contract is and a shared file somewhere. All this, and they've got to read through the contract. Were there any milestones? Are those milestones still relevant? Did anyone measure them? All that sort of stuff that's done manually. If you've just got that, then you can concentrate on the the strategic side of it. and it's interesting you say that because I've the more and more conversations that I've been having with clients recently is that they all sort of talk to this Amazon experience, this Amazon style experience. And I think you sort of touched on that as well. It, it, it goes into the realm of, of self-service. And I think there is a huge level of benefit that can be achieved when you're self-serving. But I think, again, when it comes to services procurement spend, it, it can be a bit of a minefield. So I think it's when is the time, when is, is the right time to bring in that sort of Amazon style experience, even though we are sort of heading towards that direction. Um, but also then, you know, it's, it's just this things like putting in a process and, you know, you spoke to that, you've got, you'll have procurement, you'll have the likes of service providers that are sort of now going to have visibility and, and, and access to all of this data, this wealth of data. What do you do with it? Um, so it's it's getting that balance right. But, but certainly so, I think the more and more discussions I've been having with a lot of organizations, it's well, you know, what about this Amazon style experience? It's, it's sort of taking that automation to one step ahead um and i think that is the future but i think still with the level of sort of infancy that we are seeing in certain markets and certain industries i think we're still a way away it's it's sometimes it's just really going back to basics and 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 simplifying some of those processes for to, to sort of equip organizations with that data and sort of help them sort of see where and when is the right time to put that type of experience into place yeah and i think it's always going to be more difficult with um you know non-binary um purchases like buying services um than it is with just you know things buying stuff um but but that's you know amazon is always seen as like the peak of efficiency of buying something and having it straight away um I think if you look at some of the gig marketplaces, for example, some of the big uh, gig marketplaces like Upwork, um, they're they're a ways behind an Amazon in terms of uh, just buying somebody doing something. It's it's a different thing. But going back to your point about self-service, there's a time and a place. And I almost see it as like there's a slider on the level of control that you can have. So you can go super low levels of control and let people self-serve, or you could go super high levels of control and you know, and, and basically have procurement or an external provider involved in every single step of the process because it's super risk heavy and it's absolutely critical and it just needs firmly getting under control. And maybe that organization have a, a more of a mindset of mandating these sort of things. But I think certainly as a tech provider, and I'm sure as a service provider, you kind of need to be able to do both because everybody does this differently. And some organizations are going to say, well, let's let's just start. I just need to see the spend. Yeah. Let's get everybody transacting, make it really easy for them, make it nice and simple, integrate with existing products where possible and, and keep yeah. it all nice and light for them. Then suddenly we can see everything that's happening. Yeah. And then actually we can then this is a risk. So let's put some controls in this area here. You know, anything over this level goes to these, this sign off or, yeah. you know, if we're if we're getting an SOW that's badly written then actually procurement or a service provider will give some advice on how to 
structure that more effectively or might get involved in negotiations, bids, all sorts of things. But I think it's just having the flexibility to move that slider of control. The visibility will be there kind of anyway. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the problems as well, is that a lot of organisations get quite frightened when we start to talk about services procurement spend, because it's it's just almost like they, they feel that there's a bit of a misconception in the sense that it's all or nothing. Um, yeah. And, you know, that can't be further from the truth, because and this is something I always say and I always, you know, I'm a firm believer of when it comes to this space, it's never a one size fits all model. I mean, we we have clients that have different variations and different levels of an SW service to them. Um, right for their level of spend, level of volume. Um, but it's 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 about sort of really, I guess, showcasing that it's not a one size fits all model. It can be flexible, um, which I think is a huge fear for a lot of organizations and, and sort of has held a lot of clients back in terms of discussing and bringing up that topic as well, because it's, you know, A, we've discussed it's a minefield. It's so dispersed, but it's also that that sort of fear of taking on more than they feel they're ready for or more than they can. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at the size of the spend, what's it? Uh, I think it was um, spend matters always quote the roughly four times the size of contingent workforce in most organisations. You know, it's somewhere between a trillion and 20 trillion spend. No. Uh, not quite sure where, but wherever it is, it's yeah, pretty big. Yeah, my goodness. Um, yeah. When you start to go into the realm of trillions and not billions or millions, it's, uh, yeah, it, it becomes very frightening. Yeah, I mean, the contingent workforce market is worth something in the region of 500 billion. Yeah. Um, you know, four, four times the size of that, you know, a couple of trillion. It's, it's, you're, you're getting into some pretty, big, yeah. Um, yeah. some pretty big numbers there. And I think for organisations, like you say, if they're, they can be concerned about an all or nothing approach because they might think, well, we spend a billion. Yeah. Um, we spend a billion on services procurement. My God, that's such a big thing to try and do. And it's scary and it's giant decisions and it's global this and it's global that. They don't have to do that. You know, yeah. they can they can start with a portion of it. And I think I think that's one of the things that we're seeing in the market where the offerings that service providers take to market um, are not just a giant big bang approach. They are, as you say, more flexible depending on the size of organization their appetite you might have an organization that's got 500 million spend but actually there's 40 million spend over here that's super crucial right now because it's in the uk and it's they need to find out if there's an ir35 risk in the tail spend or whatever it might be um that that is the flexibility that we've seen starting to come in because organizations need to be able to move forward without it being something that just grinds the gears to a halt um and I, I think we'll see more of that as we move forward with people, you know, initial proof of concept, get some spend under management. Hey, guys, this is actually really good. Look at all this data we've got. Look what we can do with that now because we've done it in our German IT division, for example. Um, and now we're getting these benefits from it and they can start pushing it out to broader yeah. stakeholders. Because, you know, especially when you get to the big consultancy stuff, senior stakeholders involved, big amounts yeah. of money. And where the spend, where their giant profile of services spend what needs to be the addressable spend to start with will vary on that organization and their appetite. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm sure that's what you guys are seeing in terms yeah. of from a service provider angle. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to what we were discussing earlier as well, just in terms of why a service provider. Um, you know, this is something that we've had to work very hard on for the recent several years is to showcase to organizations that actually we we can do services procurement we we it it isn't just the realm of rpo msp that we can manage it is more to that and we understand the differences as well so it's you know you you sort of again you hit the nail on the head there that there's so many sort of pilot programs or proof of concepts that take place in our world and i think maybe not so much now because we've we've gotten to a slightly more matured stage within a lot of markets but you know certainly in the sort of the starting years there were so many conversations that I was having with clients and you know I was sort of looped into those pilot programs and and it's sort of almost like okay well we we kind of see the value but we don't want to commit to this wholly let's we'll, we'll throw you a bit of a bone let's let's sort of go go forth with a pilot piece um, and show us what you can do. And it's, you know, fortunately, in, in our case, it's worked well, because there, it makes sense, there is huge um, value there. Um, so we've been able to sort of work beyond that. But yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to that sort of earlier point in terms of why a service provider um, to, to help uh, one of the reasons to, to help with your services procurement spend. Yeah, and it's um, another thing that I find very interesting is looking at how service providers are adapting, adapting their offering and adapting the internal politics of their organisation, where the balance of emphasis of, of, of uh, you know, the importance of the balance of power when it comes to the different service provisions as, the, as it's kind of expanded um, over time. But, you know, we're talking about <clears throat> massive, complex, global organisations, yeah. and ultimately they are problem solvers. Um, and and I, I tend to see it more as workforce solutions now um, because it's taking this more holistic view. Um, but it's a very exciting time. And I think you've got organisational change, you've got technology change, you've got just um, cultural change in how people are yeah. working differently. And all these things are coming together to make stuff that used to be kind of like bandied about, but no one was really ever doing anything about it, like you know, five years ago, the, the concept of total talent management. Yeah. Um, you know, even, even just the way that talent is engaged has changed so much in that five years. But now, genuinely, people can get on top of their permanent workforce. They can get on top, top of their contingent workforce. If they can get on top of their outsourced services, procured, procured services um, <laughs> engagements, they can start bringing that all together. Yeah. Um, and, and to bring that all together, that's where, you know, if you are the intermediary that's managing all of those different services, then you can help them you know, manage that data and, and look at all those sorts of things. Um, and then again, as I said before, there's the interesting thing around how, is that, how are organizations gonna change their structure to manage that internally? Where are the decisions gonna be made? Um, but if you're running a giant company, it's gotta be a good thing. Suddenly you've got, you know, you want more dashboards, you want more information yeah. at your to hand um, exactly. to be able to make these decisions. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a hugely exciting time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, as we said at the very beginning of this conversation, you and I have been chatting about this stuff for a while. Um, I'm certainly uh, quite sort of nerdy about it. I know you love all the detail and you've yeah. you got a lot of expertise <laughs> in this area. And it's it's really nice to see it kind of coming out and being discussed more widely and being, being looked at more widely. Um, 
it's, if you look at the technicalities of it, it's not a hugely glamorous uh, no. kind of like area, but no, I definitely not. think it's quite a sort of, um, it, it's quite a hot topic at the moment. But, yeah. but, but I think one of the reasons for that is because for a lot of people, it's just, um, it's a bit of a mystery. Yeah. And procurement people get it. And a lot of buyers within organisations that sit in the programme office understand it because they're buying stuff under a statement of work all the yeah. time. But when you look at that spread across a wider organisation, yeah. Um, yeah, it's always been a bit more um, shrouded in mystery. And um, because because also lure is always there. <laughs> yeah. And I think for some of the some of the bigger service providers, that's, you know, that's been a benefit in some ways. But but also where a service provider is doing a great job, they want to be recognised for that. And, and sometimes I think for exactly. the, the small guys right up to the really big strategic guys, they can be wor- working on something that if the business hasn't really captured what was you know defined to be delivered, they might be doing a fantastic job of consulting into an organisation. And the organisation, for example, might not be delivering on the advice that was, was part of that consultation package. And therefore, the organisation might look at that work unfavourably and say, well, actually, was it that really that great? Whereas if they can see a bit more of the detail, they'll understand the value they're getting from the service providers. So I think there's definitely a benefit on that side of it too. Um, What's what's your kind of view um, on that supplier angle from a from a service provider point of view, and, and what sort of what what have you encountered on that side um, so far? So I, I think that's still somewhat a bit of a mystery when it comes to this, um, and I, I I don't think it should be. I think the supplier side of things is so crucial because. We can, you know, we can sit here and talk about how wonderful the technology has progressed into how wonderful the services have progressed from a management perspective. But at the end of the day, for an organization to get the work done, they need a supplier to be able to get the work done, essentially. Um, So I think able to look at the buyer piece is so crucial. But I think where the discussion from a supplier angle um, or from a supply lens has now evolved it's that optimization piece so historically you'll have organizations that have hundreds and hundreds thousands even global um, regional supplier base um, that actually you've got probably three percent of that supplier base that's being actively engaged um, and the remainder is just uh, you, you, some, some procurement teams actually don't even have active uh, MSAs, uh, active agreements with some of those suppliers. So it just becomes a bit of a, you know, are we actually utilizing those suppliers? Are we optimizing them to the best of the ability? Um, then there is also, I guess, that, that element as well that we sort of somewhat talked about is that once an SOW is signed, that's usually the end of the process. That's sort of that SOW is tucked away in a in a drawer or on a SharePoint or on an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Um, and that's the end of that. But are you actually motivating? Are you are you optimizing that supply base? Are you engaging them in a way where actually they want to continue to do much better for you? They want to continue to deliver that sort of service. From that perspective, that optimization piece is so, so important. And it's Sometimes just 
taking it right back to basics. And I think whether you're looking at it from a from a service provider perspective or just an organizational perspective, I think what you really need to understand in order for you to look at that optimization piece with the supplier, it again goes back to that fundamental, that data, that visibility. Um, where where are the areas that you can start to optimize? Where are the areas where you can chop some of those suppliers? Um, can you mix them in? And I think there is traditionally when it comes to sort of services procurement spend and that sort of supply base, it's it's very elitist to a certain degree. You will have certain suppliers that are, you know, that they're consultancies. You've got the likes of the big four that will pretty much be at the forefront of that list. Um, and there's a different way. There's a white glove service that you provide when you're engaging those suppliers. So it's it's bringing that, bringing the right balance with that level of white glove service and that white glove approach, but also optimizing that overall piece. How are you sort of getting some of the smaller niche, maybe boutique consultancies involved with some projects maybe that, that they just nest, probably traditionally wouldn't even have the opportunity to participate in? You know, I think without going into too much granular detail from a procurement strategy perspective, but that I think really is a key thing. And I think that's where um, really where procurement teams, in my view, sometimes are undervalued. It's because they bring that wealth of experience, that those wealth of relationships, that wealth of knowledge from that supplier perspective, as well as, you know, various other things as well, is that how do you bring that into place and remove some of the more traditional elements where it's just exclusively maybe the big four or your suppliers that that you've got high value spend with, how do you mix that up? You know, you've got to be a little bit controversial, I think, to a certain degree to, to start to really work through that optimization. So I think depending on which angle you're looking at it from, um, to me, it always does come back to that optimization side of it, um, but also to a certain degree, the usability as well and your interaction. So, you know, I mentioned that white glove service. You've got sort of the, to a certain degree, that elitism that comes into it with the suppliers that you're engaging on that side of things. Um, But it's just bringing those all into a good balance and good mix and and sort of positioning where your focus and priority lies um, and and when the right time is for those. Yeah. And, you know, it plays into other areas like, um, you know, access to innovation and making sure that your supply chain match your sustainability and, and, and diversity kind of expectations as an organization, as a brand, as a big business. Are they you know, fit for purpose? Are they fit for purpose? Can they do a good job? You know, have they got the expertise? Yeah. Are they the type of organizations you want to be working with, you want to align yourselves with? Um, all of these things, you can only do that if you have the visibility of what that supplier population is. You can build that supplier population. You can build the supply chain resilience on the service side by, by engaging with more suppliers and giving wider opportunities, as you say, rather than potentially in some cases it being very restricted to just a few um, very large suppliers. And I think organizations have come around to that a lot more, um, but they still can't do it unless they can get access to that information. Um, And that's where it does help, in my opinion, the entire supply chain, not just the small, innovative, diverse, sustainable suppliers that, that need to be given an opportunity to help those companies, but also, the big trusted suppliers that are doing great work that need to be recognized for that and need to be utilized in the areas where they are most effective. Um, So I think it's a hugely exciting opportunity all around for the whole 
kind of end-to-end supply chain. Um, so just to kind of round things off then, so we, we started off this conversation to look at <laughs> where are we in the maturity curve? Now, I think we would both agree that organisations are really rapidly starting to come around to the, the idea that this is a very important area of spend. They need to manage it. They're currently not managing it well, and they know the reasons why they need to do that. Yeah. If you were to if you were to plot this course on a kind of like maturity curve, um, where would you say, and obviously it depends in region and things like that and possibly some industries, but in general, where do you feel that the, this market is in terms of its maturity? I think it's quite steadily going on the up. Um, I think, again, you know, with those sort of somewhat regional markets and those specific nuances, I think there will be a few sort of ups and downs in those. Um, but I would say as a whole, I think we're quite steadily sort of on the on the incline. Yeah, I think the I think there's the potential with these various factors that have kind of happened at the moment. Certainly, if you look at the UK market, I think there's a, there's the potential for real exponential change. Yeah. Because when you get a, a clear regulatory change, that often drives um, behaviour. Well, you're, you're forced to think about things. <laughs> you're forced to address problems that exist in, yeah. you know, the current um, services supply chain. How much of that is disguised uh, contracting, for yeah. example? Um, there's a, the, there are clear drivers that, that need to be addressed around that. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's 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 varying maturity. I wouldn't for my own going to view on the market i wouldn't necessarily say there are clear markets where there's a much higher level of maturity yeah in some areas like finance pharmaceutical things like that there's a lot there's a there's a large spend on services and they're highly regulated so yeah. that definitely bears has a bearing on it but you know if you look at engineering companies and the way that they the services that they buy um yeah there's i think there's a great range across all sectors to be honest um but it's an exciting time to be part of it, and Absolutely. no doubt uh, when we uh, when we next hopefully get to get to do this again at some point, um, we can uh, reflect on how things have moved on because I, I do think it's going to happen quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think I think we you know being in this space is just incredibly exciting. I think we've had some great innovations come into place and things that are probably still on on. Uh, maybe not to be disclosed just yet, but I'm um, certainly working towards. But um, yeah, I think there's some incredibly exciting times ahead. This industry has evolved so much and there's absolutely no signs of it stopping. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a it's a really good time, really good time and position for us, for us all to be in. Excellent stuff. Well, listen, Sarah, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Super interesting to chat to you about all of this. And hopefully we can uh, get together a little bit further down the line and see whether some of our predictions... Take off some of our predictions. Exactly. (laughs) Hopefully so. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me and um, I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Cheers. Thank you.